Psalm 25 of David. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord. For only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me. For I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, like many of you, I myself grew up in church. My dad's a pastor, which means I was at church, and our church had a building, which means I was at that building all the time. And when I was a teenager, we had a, uh, a pretty big youth group. And every, there was a youth pastor. This is a huge church. There was an assistant youth pastor, and then there was like a high school pastor, a junior high pastor, and like a, it was like a whole staff just for this youth group. Um, but one time it was summer, and I had gone up to the church to help the youth leaders uh, do some painting in the church. I'm guessing like the youth in the youth room or whatever. And I remember I was at the church, and I was used to hanging around with this youth staff, this group of folks, because my dad was a pastor. I was there all the time. And I remember standing there painting, and I remember that there was this youth leader. She was like a summer youth intern. Out of the blue, she turned to me and asked me... Um, 
I remember she asked me, she looked right at me and she said, how is your walk? And I thought, I remember this very clearly. In that moment, two things occurred to me. First, I think I knew what she was talking about. I had heard language of having a walk, uh, like the Christian life is a walk. You know, we walk with God, we walk God's path. I, I heard of this. The language wasn't new to me. But when she asked me, how is your walk? The second thing that occurred to me was that even though I thought I understood what she meant, I actually had no idea what she was talking about. Uh, I was a Christian. I had been a Christian most of my life. I was at the church all the time. I was an insider. And painting. This is painting as an insider. <laughs> That's why I was there. She says, how was your walk? And I thought I knew what she meant, but I also realized I, I, I really had no idea. Um, what does it mean to have a walk? And I don't remember how the conversation went. I might have just said that very thing. Like, what are you talking about? But it's gone from my memory. The reason I point that out, and I tell you that story, is because uh, maybe you yourself, at some point in your life, you look at your life and you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm involved at church, maybe I've been kind of an insider on this thing for a while, but at the end of the day, when it comes to walking with God, walking God's path, walking in the way of the Lord, I think I know what that means, but also, I just don't know. Maybe that's you. I've had conversations with, uh, with, um, actually had a conversation with someone in this church before, the person is not here right now, uh, conversation went something like this. Um, you know, we, we talk about what we believe, we talk about what we think is true, but we don't talk enough about what we're supposed to do. What does it mean to do the Christian life? And there's something there. Today's psalm, Psalm 25, is about this. It's about walking God's way, walking God's path. It's about having a walk. I know that language is metaphorical, but actually what I didn't know when this uh, youth worker was asking me the question was the language of having a walk is actually biblical. It's a biblical metaphor for the Christian life or for the life of the person uh, who is a part of the people of God, which would be the case since this is the Old Testament. Um, that's a biblical thing. And that's what this psalm is about. In verse 4, the psalmist prays, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. And in a way, that's sort of the, the theme verse for the whole psalm. Uh, over and over again in this psalm, we see that it mentions uh, the ways of the Lord, the ways that we ourselves as people of God live our lives, the ways that we walk the Lord's paths, being guided by the Lord, uh, being released from, from some kind of trap in order to, so we could walk with the Lord. This theme of God's way, God's path, our walk, permeates the whole psalm. So as we look at it, I want us to think, I want that youth leader's question to resonate in our minds. How is your walk? Uh, 
Uh, and I want us all to think as we look through the psalm, the pieces of the psalm, how am I walking with God? How am I walking God's path? Am I uh, on God's path? Am I moving down God's path? How does this apply to me? Now, what I want to do is I want to look at this psalm and I want to, to, in order to wrap our heads around this, especially because metaphor is involved and sometimes metaphor can be very clear, sometimes it can be very vague, probably depends on our personality types and our uh, our neuro type. Uh, I want us to come to this psalm and ask two questions. Number one, what are God's ways? What is this path? <laughs> what is the road? Uh, what are God's ways? What does that mean? And then the second question is, uh, how do I walk them? What does it mean to do this? Kind of like that person asked me one time. It's not just what, what we believe. What are we supposed to do? I want us to think through that. So the big questions are, what are God's ways? Because that's what the psalm is about. And then, what does it mean to walk them? Okay? So, first, number one, what are God's ways? What is the path? Well, we see that in verses 8 through 10. Verses 8 through 10 say this. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Here it is. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. That's the answer. What are God's ways? Well, first, God's ways, to use the metaphor, are the paths that he walks himself. God's ways are his ways. It's the road that God is traveling. It's the way that God walks. That's the first thing. Stated plainly, God's ways are more about him than they are about us. All of God's ways are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. We think about the way of the Lord, God's path. First thing we should think about is him. It's the road that he walks before it's the road that we walk. Um, in this verse, we see something about God's disposition, his attributes, his uh, personality. And we also see something about his action, about his behavior, about his work. Good and upright is the Lord. This describes who he is in his person. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right. He teaches them his way. And all of the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. 
What is God's disposition? What is God's behavior? What is God's personality? And what are his actions? Well, we can sum all of it up with this word, love. All of God's ways are loving. Everything that God does, he does out of love. Everything that God does, he does as love. Everything that God does, he does towards love. In fact, love characterizes all of God. It's his disposition. It's his personality. In fact, in 1 John, it says twice. In 1 John 4, 8 and 4, 16, it says God is love. That's who he is. That is what he is. And God's actions, God's actions flow out of his identity. All of his actions are love. I think that's important for us to uh, really let soak in. Uh, If you've spent any time around Christianity, you have heard it said that God is love. If you spend any time um, around even Christian influence, you've probably heard that love is the big thing. Love is the big idea. But we tend to forget this. I think sometimes... um, We separate love from our idea of God. We have our idea of God, and then we have this idea of love, and they're kind of shaped independently of one another. And then somewhere we might believe or not believe that God uh, himself acts according to our idea of love. But in the scriptures, we see love in ultimate reality, and we see God as he is they're not separated and they're not just connected they're the same there's this classical doctrine in the Christian faith that says this everything in God is God everything in God is God the idea there is that God is simple he is not composed of pieces and parts he was not put together by something outside of him. Everything in him is him. He is consistent through and through. There is no shifting or change or even dualism of any kind in God. Everything in God is God. That means since we know that God is loving in his character and his actions, since we know that love is one of his attributes, It comes from him. It is something in him. Well, that means that it is him. Metaphysically, our brains can't go all of the way there. We can't say God is love, therefore love is God. That doesn't work. But in a way, it sort of, kind of does. Because what we mean when we say God is love is that. All of God's ways are loving. Why? Because he is good and he is upright. He is love. Now, why am I making such a big deal of this? Well, because the question is, what are God's ways? What are his paths? And before there are paths and there are ways that we walk, there are paths and ways that God walks. And if God is love, 
Therefore, the big sign at the trailhead of God's ways and our ways says love. Every single thing that we do as Christians, as people, if it's not done in love, then it's not done in God. If it's not loving, then it doesn't come from God. Because God is love. It says that all of God's ways are loving and faithful. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is God's love in action. God's love is not stagnant. It's active. Just as the the classical theologians say that everything in God is God, we can also say that God is pure act. God is action. God's love doesn't exist in a vacuum. God's love is moving and it's doing something. And we can call that faithfulness. Uh, the biblical word for faithfulness here is the Hebrew word uh, emit. E, well, I guess if we wrote it in English, it would be E-M-E-T. Emit, emit. Uh, my pronunciation is probably horrible. Uh, but the idea of that is firmness, unbreakableness. Uh, in legal terms, it would be like in perpetuity. It's unchanging. So God's path, it's not the sign at the top of the trailhead doesn't just say love, but that road is narrow and it's straight and it's perfect. Faithfulness. God's love is always sustained. It never changes. It never shifts. It's always consistent. God's way is love and God's way is faithful. That's the road that God walks, if we were going to use that metaphor to describe God. What does God do? He does love, and he does it faithfully. What did God do before he made the world? He did love, and he did it faithfully. What is God going to do for all eternity? Love, and it's never going to change. God's way, God's path, is love, love done faithfully. We need to get that into our brains before we start talking about what it means for us to walk the road of the Christian life. So, that's actually the idea here. Because God walks the road of love and faithfulness. We too are called to walk the road, metaphorically, of love and faithfulness. This is part of what it means to be created in God's image. It means we do the kinds of things that he does. In fact, we do what he does. Again, back to classical theology. We talk about God's attributes. We talk about them in two different categories of God's attributes. The things that describe God. The things in God that are God. We talk about them two ways. There are his incommunicable attributes. These are the things that God alone has. They only describe him. Things like uh, being all-powerful or all-knowing or unchanging. Those things only describe God. But then God has a set of what we could call communicable attributes. These are things that as his image bearers, we can be like him. We're actually made to be like him in these ways. 
And love is a communicable attribute. As God loves, so we love. As God is love, we're to live in love. Love is to permeate everything we do. The idea here is that we can actually learn to walk through life like God does. We can walk God's path. So what does it mean to have a walk? Well, it means to do what God does. To be on his road. To be on his path. As God loves, we're created for love. And as God never changes, that's incommunicable. We can't be just like him. But we are called to walk a straight and narrow way. That means that love never stops being the boundary of the road for us. Okay. That's what God's ways are. Now, next question. How do we walk in them? Right? Two things. The what? We've just been talking about. Now the how. How do we walk in them? All of this sounds awesome about God's path and how we're supposed to do it also. God is love and we love. That's great. How does that work? Back to that one person asking me, Pastor Charlie, what are we supposed to do? Okay. Well, let's first talk about walking in love. What does it mean for us? How do we actually walk God's path of love? I think sometimes for us, as in our, if, you, if you've been in our tradition long, if you've gone to churches that are in the Reformed tradition, or even if you're just uh, hanging around church folks a lot, I think a lot of times we think of spiritual maturity as spiritual understanding. If somebody's truly godly, if somebody's truly spiritual, then they really understand theology, and they understand how to discern truths about God, they understand they have lots of Bible knowledge, that's spiritual maturity. And you know, Bible knowledge is very important. Uh, understanding good theology is very important. But those things aren't the same as being spiritually mature. Uh, let's take God's love, the most important theological concept on our plate right now. Being a good Christian, growing in our faith, being a mature Christian, being close to God is not about understanding the perimeters and dynamics and directions of God's love. It's not about knowing and getting it under, under, in our brains, God loves these people this way and these people a little differently or God's love folded out like this in redemptive history God's love is like this but it's not like this those things are important but that's not what it means to walk God's path it's more important that we ourselves are shaped and directed by being the recipients and participants in God's love than it is for us to know about it in our brains somebody can have almost no theological knowledge at all. Somebody cannot know how to read. Somebody can have a developmental disability and be a mature Christian. In fact, there are tons of people in the world 
with very little theological knowledge, who are close to God, who are grown up in their faith, who have walked God's path for years and years and years, and who could help others do it. We need to understand that. What does it mean to walk in love, to walk God's path of love? Well, it doesn't mean head knowledge. It starts with fearing God. Our psalm, look at verse 12, it says, Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. People who walk God's path, that path starts with fearing God. The path of love, the way of love, a life of love starts with fearing God. Now in the Bible, when it talks about fearing God, that's not necessarily limited to being afraid of God. It actually means it's like a sense, it's, it's like having awe for God, reverence for God, knowing that God is bigger than you. It's about having a sense of holy fear. And walking the path of love, God's path, that's where it starts. It starts with having, uh, with gaining, and I God gives it to us. It's about having a sense of his grandeur, of his glory, of his bigness, of his mystery. And really cowering in front of it. Or being overwhelmed by it. Love starts here. How do we get that? Well, the passage in Colossians earlier encourages us to look to Jesus, to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's another metaphor for focusing on him, thinking about him, learning about him, considering who he is. Now, when we gaze upon Jesus with the eyes of faith, we are looking at God's perfect image. We are looking at God's perfect representation of himself. We are hearing God's voice. We are receiving God's word. So, how do we walk God's path? The path of love, the path he walks. Well, first, it starts with fearing God. And we fear God when we see Jesus in his beauty. When we read about who he is, we talk about who he is. And we experience his work in our life. Notice so far, everything that we're doing to walk God's path is passive. God is the one who's doing the action. If we do anything, it's just receiving. So it starts with fearing God, seeing him and being overwhelmed by him. But then it moves into intimacy with God. Look at verse 14. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. What's unique about God's path as we read about it in scripture, as we learn about it in the gospel, as opposed to maybe how it's described in the different spiritual systems of the world, is that in the gospel, fear of God leads to intimacy with God. 
If we look at other spiritual systems, like secular humanism, or like various kinds of pantheism, or if we consider Islam or deism, fearing God never moves into intimacy with God. Some spiritual systems embrace the fear of the Lord. God is big and he's mighty and he's distant and we should submit to God, but they never get to intimacy. It would be like deism or Islam. Some spiritual systems talk about intimacy with God. We can be close to God. We can experience God. God is all around us. God is in us. But they shy away from fearing him. But only in the gospel do they go together. When we fear God because we get a spiritual vision of God's reality in Jesus Christ, Jesus as God's love, it doesn't, that fear doesn't lead us away from him. It doesn't just lead us to impersonal submission. It leads us to intimacy. In Christ, God is not only our king, he's our husband. Now, some of us are married, some of us aren't. Some of us have husbands, some of us have wives, some of us are single. But all of us together as God's people, in Christ, God is our husband. He's our spouse. That image is striking. Husbands and wives. You look at each other and you see your partner, your equal, or other half. How crazy is it that God would call us his spouse in Christ, his partner, his equal? Now we're getting into the place where the edges of the metaphor are burning with glory and we can't look into it. The point is, walking in love starts with fear and we need to practice that by beholding God in his beauty by reading our Bibles, by praying and experiencing awe for him. But we don't just stay there. We become intimate with him. He works in our life. We become participants, in a way, in his life. Think about the message of Christmas. God, untouchable, almighty, unchangeable, incomprehensible, distant, grand, big, and mysterious, puts on humanity in a way where he becomes vulnerable. He was carried. He was birthed. He was nursed. He was held. Think about the message of Pentecost. God and his mysterious glory, distant and far, sends his spirit to indwell us and causes us to do miraculous, incredible things. So back to our friend's question, what do I do in the Christian life? What are we supposed to do to walk this road? Well, I guess to put it plainly, we're supposed to do looking to Jesus focusing on him and allowing him to come to us in his spirit and change us from the inside out. Paul in Colossians talks about 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, looking at Jesus, seated on the throne in heaven. And then as a result, we start putting off some things and putting on other things. But in all things, we are embraced and participating and acting in love. Now, we're still sort of in metaphor land. And you know what? Scripture often leaves us there in the ambiguous. We don't get a step-by-step action plan for exactly how to walk God's path because for each of us, it ends up being a little different. Because it's not so much about exactly what you do as how you do it from where inside of yourself you're doing it and who you're doing it for and who you're doing it in front of. This is more about walking God's path. It's more about our relationship with him than it is our actions. Why? Because he is love. Because that's what he does. And because that aspect of who he is and what he does never changes. All of God's ways are loving and faithful toward those who keep his covenant. Now, we look at the psalm and we do see some movements. We do see some steps. They're still big and a little ambiguous. But it gives us an idea of how all of this works out. We see the psalmist placing his trust in God. Verse 2, I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. We see the psalmist placing trust in God. We see the psalmist practicing repentance. Verse 6, Remember, O Lord, your mercy and love, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. We see him doing something, but that something is always connected to this bigger picture, this bigger truth that he has a love relationship with God. Do you see the actions are flowing out of, let's see, how do you say it? Uh, The imperative comes from the indicative. The actions flow out of what is true. We also see the psalmist actively placing hope in God. Verses 4 and 5. Show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. At the end, verse 21. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. This whole idea of placing hope in God means that the psalmist's orientation for reality doesn't exist within themselves. It exists ahead of them, outside of them, where God is. Set your minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. I think this is really important for us. If you're like me, it's so easy for you to begin orienting your life path, your decisions, the way that you live, your attitude, your mindset, 
orienting them based on things in our world. Based on what's happening in the news, based on what's happening with our friends and our communities and our families, based on what's happening with our emotions. That's how we tend to map out our path in life. But here we see a different way to live. A way to walk a road called love. That's a walk of intimacy with God as a spouse. How can an unchanging God confide in a changing people? Because he marries us in Christ, in the Spirit. Because he makes us like himself. When we think about the question, how is your walk? Instead of thinking about the things that we do, the things that we don't do, the way that we respond to this or that, the side we choose on this or that uh, set of opinions or argument or controversy, our theological knowledge, the scriptures are inviting us to think about something more ultimate, something more true something more glorious and fearful than our everyday little decisions. In a way, the path of God, the way of God, it's not just a road that we walk. It's the air that we breathe. It's who we are. Because we, like God, who God is informs what God does. That's supposed to be true of us as his image bearers. So, in all of this, we see a picture of Jesus. Fully God, fully human, living our life, bringing the reality of who God is into our world, promising to marry us, sending his spirit to fill us and transform us. And we're invited to focus on him. Because everything that I've said about the way of God, the path of God, is really about him. He's the one who walks it perfectly. And we can only walk it perfectly. We can only walk it at all. In him. Because he is the love of God come to us.